0: Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the executive director of the Henry Nowen Society. Welcome to a new episode of Henry Nowen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Henry Nowen Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry Nowen to audiences around the world. Today, I'm going to bring you a very special interview. I've had Gabrielle Earnshaw as a guest on our podcast series many times. Often it's been to launch a new book. Gabrielle edited three important books in the past four years. She chose the letters for the book of letters called Love, Henry. And then she read all Henry's writings to find the very best quotes. And this became the daily meditation, You Are the Beloved. Most recently, Gabrielle brought to life a series of lectures Henry gave in Boston in 1986. And this became following Jesus, finding our way home in an age of anxiety. Today, we're here to talk about a brand new book, which Gabrielle has written, titled Henry Nowen and the Return of the Prodigal Son, The Making of a Spiritual Classic. Who could be a better writer for this book than the archivist who has focused on Henry's life for more than 20 years? Gabrielle, you managed to uncover the particular state of Henry's soul out of which this beloved classic was birthed. I find it fascinating, insightful, challenging, and it's a beautifully written book. In its many insights, I honestly think it's one of the best biographies of Henry Nouwen that I have read. In your introduction, you tell the story of Henry Nouwen on his 60th birthday being born as a clown. Why did you start with this image?
1: Uh, thank you very much, Karen, for that beautiful introduction and a really good uh, first question. Uh, when Henry Nouwen was turning 60, it was also the year that his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, uh, was released into the world. So it seemed like there was some sort of uh, energy around the 60th, uh, his 60th year. But then on top of that, uh, Larche Daybreak, which many of your listeners will know, was Henry Nowen's home for the last ten years of his life. The community there um offered him the most beautiful and wonderful birthday celebration, and it involved having Henry nowen get into a a sack of sorts and he got dressed up, they dressed him up as a clown. Um, and then they asked him to get into a sack, and Henry Nowen, being who he, Henry Nowen was, uh, he got right into this uh, this act, and and he started, you know, birthing himself as a clown, and that was the idea that he was, you know, on his 60th birthday was to to become the clown. That clown was somebody or something that Henry was quite attracted to all his life. He he even has a book called Clowning in Rome. Um, there's other photographs in the archives of, with him in clown uh, outfits, so it really suited him. It suits his childlike nature. Um, but I, what I loved about it as a first image is that what Daybreak was doing was trying to give him the image of being reborn. You know, his birthday was a chance to, you know, start the year fresh as a 60-year-old, and. And it really, to me, the the return of the prodigal son was a birthing experience as well, the creation of the return of the prodigal son. And when I was doing the research, I realized it took nine years. And that that seemed quite remarkable because, as we know, babies take nine months to grow in the womb. And here we have this wonderful, you know, synchronicity or um where where his book takes nine years to be born in 1992, and so the clown metaphor was uh, impossible to to resist, and that's that's where we started. And it's you know it's like it's a vivid mem- metaphor for his rebirth that he tells in the Return of the Prodigal Son. You know the book is many things, um, but one thing it is it's a book about transformation. It's a book about Uh, one person's journey into the heart of himself. Um, Many of the aspects of the journey were external to him, you know, took place in multiple countries and at different times, um, you know, in chronological time. But really, this was uh, a journey into himself, and then he comes out nine years later as uh, transformed. And so it seemed like a great way to start the book.
0: Forgive me for interrupting you. It's just, it's funny, because what occurred to me was... I I sort of want to know where the inception began and it's interesting because I know it began in a sense seeing this picture but I can imagine growing up in the Netherlands as he did he would have seen Rembrandt's painting. I'm sure he would have seen it although maybe not. No he wouldn't have seen it because it would have been in Russia. Anyway where did where did the inception of this uh, where did this get birthed in Henry?
1: Well, I think I think your in, in some ways your observation is really astute because uh, many people might have seen the poster of the Return of the Prodigal Son on the back of you know uh, an office door and, and and completely ignored it, not even registered it. But but Henry Nowen registered it, um, and there were many reasons why, and and one of them might be like you've just suggested is that he was already primed to be noticing. Art by Rembrandt um, and he would have been there would have been a familiarity. He might not have seen this particular painting in fact, we know he hadn't seen it in person because it does hang in the hermitage in um in St Petersburg but it, it it he would have he would have been if he had seen a Dutch master like the Rembrandt uh, like Rembrandt on this poster, he probably would have done a double take He would have noticed it maybe in a way that people who aren't born in Holland wouldn't. So I think there is that. I think that he was also a person who had a, a very, very fine sense of of, of art and appreciated art and, and had an eye for art. His parents actually, um, when they were uh, first married, they spent their honeymoon in Paris. And at the time, Chagall, Marc Chagall was selling his... His uh, watercolors, and um, before he was famous, and his parents had actually picked up a Chagall. So Henry Nowin lived in a home with a, an original piece of art by Marc Chagall uh, for a very long time. So he was he was tuned into art, and and that really did help him, I think, see the poster in a way that maybe others might have just walked by it and not seen it.
0: You know, your your book is really. About the making of a classic, it, it acknowledges, and I think millions of readers acknowledge that the return of the prodigal son is a spiritual classic. Um, one critic said that the book was really written for sinners. <laughs> what did you think of that kind of a comment about it?
1: <laughs> oh, I think it's perfect. Um, I think what they mean, or what I, how I understand uh, that way of describing Henry Nowen's book is that there's a, there's a way that Henry Nowen re- gives us back an image of God that is so different from the one that many of us grew up with. And so a lot of people um, carry around a lot of shame and guilt and, and a sense of being a sinner. Um, and and there's this sense that God is going to punish them, or that God has already punished them. There's a there's a there is this God, an image of God that is quite um, harsh and paternalistic and uh, and 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 uh, punishing. And what I think Henry Nouwen does uh, through the the artwork of Rembrandt is he gives us a new image of God. He gives us an image of God that is welcoming, um, unconditionally loving, extravagantly loving. And and I think so, if a person holds a sense of, in themselves, holds this maybe even very hidden aspect of themselves that feels like they're a sinner, that somehow they've let God down, um, this book can can transform that. And it has. It, and I think that that's really the, the one of the reasons why this is a book that just keeps, that people just keep reading, um, you know, all these years later. Um, because Henry Nowen, um, I, I don't know, he, it's like he, it's like he repaints our image of God. And then and then we have we can we can hold that image in our minds and in our hearts that the God that I love loves me too and I and no matter what I've done no matter what I've left undone no matter who I love or who I don't love you know the God loves me all the time through that and that's a very um, important gift and he does it not in a in a way that is, Many readers of Henry Nouwen will know his approach to this kind of thing is very gentle. Um, I think you even use the word sometimes that he it 's through the back door <laughs> and uh, and and he gets to us through the back door because maybe some people don 't even realize how much of a sinner in quotation marks they 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 characterize themselves as maybe they don 't realize that what 's holding them back why they're why they have this you know, sort of heavy heart may be because of an internalized vision of God that is punishing and and sees them as a sinner.
0: It's interesting because I think mixed into that is, is something that Henry uh, understands and gives, I, I know to me, this incredible sense of the self-rejection that is hidden within us. And, and in all of that, he kind of peels that away and th- obviously... The Return of the Prodigal Son brings you into a sense of what it truly is to be loved. Gabrielle, I love the fact that you take us through so many parts of Henry's life, and that helps us understand, in a sense, the the fertile ground out of which this book comes. I want to read a quote, because where you start is with the family, and I love what Henry writes. You see he explained in his retreatments, My father accomplished his goals late in life by becoming a a successful professor of law and based on his background, this rise to fame was quite unusual in his day. My dad was very bright and able to function well in the world of competition and I as the older son in our family seemed to be programmed to believe that I had to be at least as good as my dad. Thus began a lifelong competition with respect to our careers and to those other subjects as well. I love that insight. Tell tell me about the family that that formed Henry.
1: Well, I think you know. I think sometimes I refer to the and family, and I hope I hope that the remaining and family will not uh, take this the wrong way. But I, I think of them as racehorses. I think of them as very, very um, sort of. Like keenly intellectual, um, very, very, and, and, and well, well muscled, you know, um, and, and they, and they, they sort of take life very seriously, and, and, you know, wor- work at it like a, like a, like a racehorse would, you know, you, you would, you would, you would get their, um, you know, their health and their, and their, strength, um, as, as as tight as possible. And, I, and that's how I sort of see the Nowen family. Um, they they were a, a, a loving family, very loving. They had, um, you know, the, the two parents, Maria Nowen and Laurent Nowen, had henry and then paul in in short succession so they the, the two brothers were were only about a year uh, apart and then there was a big gap of about 15 years and then they had two other children laurent and laureen who also have about a year um between them so in fact there was there was four children but there was a there was a an age gap between between those uh the first the first set and the second set um and in that time i mean henry now and did grow up um at was a youngster in, during the Second World War, um, but uh, which was you know Germany invaded Holland and but I think what we can draw some insight from that is that the and family were not that adversely affected by this. Um, by the war and by the invasion, and that means that they had some sort of privilege that other um, netherlanders didn 't um, dutch people didn 't so they they were quite they they wouldn 't describe themselves as wealthy, but I think in some ways you know we could say that they were middle middle upper class or or upper class they did have um, i I had the wonderful experience of being taken around to henry Nowen's homes the homes that he lived in in his lifetime by his brother Laurent and and they were quite um quite beautiful large stately homes and they they often did have uh in fact not often they always had someone to help with the children um and help with you know sort of a nanny of sorts um uh, so they so they were a, a quite a wealthy Family, privileged family, very well educated. Many members of Henry Nowen's family um, had joined religious orders, and there was there was a there was this closeness, but also this the uh, strong expectations for each child to you know make make the most of themselves. And and I think that's what Henry is referring to there, that his father did the same thing. He, he you know, he essentially moved from one station in life to another through his own hard work. And, um, you know, so that was the example that was set for Henry and his siblings. Um, Maria Nowen was was very, um, Henry describes her as pious and other people that I've spoken to over the years, um, agree that she was a pious woman, but also very warm. Um, one one person, um, a close friend of Henry's, Peter Naus, described, you know, when she walked into the room, sort of the 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 warmth in the room just went up. She just had that kind of um, energy around her. So that's sort of the that gives you a, a somewhat of a sense of the family.
0: It's a it, it's it's beautiful to know because. Obviously, the heart of that painting, which Henry explores in The Return of the Prodigal Son, really a very pivotal part of it is is the relationship that he has with his own father and then his, his insights into who he is within that painting. I also really appreciate in this new book that you've written... Um, that you give me a, an understanding of the intellectual formation of Henry. You you give, and there's a terrific insight in this. The role of Anton Boysen. Can you help me understand this? I know, for example, I I you often remind me. Don't forget, Henry was a psychologist. Take me into that, and tell me how that becomes something important within this book.
1: Yeah, this. I mean, really as i I think i I probably make the point even maybe even uh underscore it too much we can't really make too much of the influence of anton boysen on henry nowen um and anton boysen is not a household word um you know not a household name at, at all and even to this day um boysen is not is is not well known he he was an american he is um, credited with founding the, the clinical pastoral education movement. And he was born in 1896, so that kind of gives you um, a sense of, you know, he was just born on the cusp of the at the end of the 19th century and into the 20th century. And he essentially, I mean, there's a lot to be said about boysen, and, um, and any biographer has to, you know, get a good grasp of boysen if they want to understand Henry Nouwen. But let's just say that um, the biggest impact is, Something that uh, uh, um, a methodology that that Boysen started was looking at living human documents. So, up until that point, psychologists were um, well, actually, let me let me let me go back a bit. Uh, I think what, what I want the point I want to make is that Boyson, in his work to, to help people who were having mental health crises. Um, he would develop. He developed a methodology in which you learned and paid very close attention to the person's own story. So the the chaplain um, or the person who was trying to assist this person would listen to their story, and from that, listen to how the person described their own illness. And so, if I think. Um, people familiar with Henry Nowen will recognize a seed there. I mean, Henry, Henry Nowen took biography, the biography of people, um, and himself very seriously. So the return of the prodigal son is actually an exploration in his own story. What, how does he understand his own story. How does he tell his own story? So we start off like you've just alluded to. He has a very strong father that he, that he feels in competition with. And then his story shifts through. um, And that's what, why we're fascinated with this book is because we see how he goes from being a person feeling a lot of rejection from his father and competition with his father to being someone who, who um, develops a, a really, Close bond with his father, and then goes on to being able to claim his own his own fatherhood. So the the influence of Boison, that's one one key factor is that he he helped Henry now and see the the value in in stories and the stories that we tell each other. The other thing about Boyson is that Boison himself had psychotic episodes, so he was a mental health <laughs> practitioner who suffered from mental health problems himself and so it's really this idea that you can that it's through our wounds through our suffering through our own difficulties and struggles that we can be a source of healing for other people and you know henry Nouwen wrote the book the wounded healer the wounded healer um is traces right back to Boyson. Boysen wrote an, an autobiography um, that, at the time, actually made it to the New York Times bestseller list um, because he was he was he was speaking about his own illness with a, a lot of insight, and he and so this became I believe it became a model for how Henry now and then. Um, started writing about his own life. I think it was a, a direct, there's a direct model there of how to use your own life to be a source of healing for others.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? Because literally in the midst of this journey of writing this book, Henry himself has a major breakdown and it's there that the, 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 the depth of the insights that are in the pages of this book... Mm-hmm. really happen. Uh, mm-hmm. a, a good, good friend of ours, Sue Mosteller, Sister Sue Mosteller. You and I are are both great uh, fans of Sue. But Sue played a really important role for Henry in in a sense uh, pushing him forward in the midst of this painful time in his life into a profound insight that really, in a sense, completes the book. Tell us a bit about about that part of the book?
1: Sure. I, I think this might be the part of the book that a lot of people um, will find the most um, revelatory or, or new, um, I think, because um, Sue Mosteller's role in Henry Nowen's life, I mean, he wrote, he wrote about her, he references her. Um, we know that he left his literary papers to her. There can't be anything that indicates someone's trust in another than that, um, But but this really – the the letters that I was able to find in the archives that Sue wrote to Henry during this time of breakdown that you just alluded to um, are – they're so beautiful for one for one thing. They're so supportive of Henry and, and what he's living and and she walks with him every step of the way. And these letters that we're publishing here for the first time, thank you to the Henry Now and Legacy Trust for that. Um, they they reveal, like you just said, the the, the the absolute crucial role that she played in helping him through this major depression that he was going through to reclaim himself and reclaim his place at, at daybreak but he she also was his primary reader of the draft of the return of the prodigal son and she was along she was um, she read the very earliest draft and she read the very latest draft and each time she would write these very um, uh, insightful letters back to him and with with mo- the most important, feature being the encouragement for him to claim the fatherhood and and he you know he alludes to this in the book he spe- I mean he doesn't allude he speaks to it directly in his book um, so we knew it already but this these letters really show how um, how important sue was and how frequently she had to say it he really did have a resistance to to stepping into the role of the father and and I think we can all relate to that that's another why this book is so uh popular I think is that we can we can relate that you know we're we somebody gives us some great advice and we can we can recognize it's really oh yeah that's really important that's that's something I should try to integrate into my life, but we can't we're simply not ready and um and that's you know part of the this book is just to show how long this transformation actually took and that there was a lot of going back and forth you know henry henry uh relates to the younger son then he relates to the older son and he goes back and forth between them until finally he is able with sue's help to become the father or at least to try
0: you know uh, gabrielle one of the things that um i love about the book you have written and i want to be clear here we are talking about henry's insights and and of course your book which is about the making of a spiritual masterpiece um is, is, uh, tells a lot about these parts and pieces, but I love the insights that you bring to it. You, you place it in a time period. You talk about the zeitgeist of the time. And one of the things you've helped me see with clarity is this wonderful, um, Henry Nouwen, a person who lived, very present to the times he was in. And I find that fascinating to know about him. I also find it fascinating that you very daringly take a look at where do you think he was going? What what you as an archivist can kind of see as you see kind of footprints where he was as as this book comes out, etc., and where he is in his thinking. I'd love to hear a little bit about that, but I want to encourage people, here we are listening to these insights about Henry I want to tell you this book is wonderful you must read it and it's going to be fun for you to read it because we're just skimming the surface here she uh, Gabrielle goes into great insights within it so I really want to encourage you to go there but tell me a little bit about um in a sense the what you were seeing Henry uh where he was coming to at that at that point at nine years when the book gets published what's happening in him then?
1: Yeah, that's what's that's what's so. Um, I mean, oh, so the year 1992 for for me that's the big year because that's the year that the book came out. So I wanted to know as much as I could about that year, and um, not only what was happening politically, socially, culturally, pop culturally, but also what was going on in his own life. And you know what? It, by 1992, nine years after he saw the poster in 1983 where was he? What was, what was going on? And, and was he, I mean, there the, the last chapter is called living the painting. And I think that I, I actually really enjoyed writing that chapter um, because did he live it? He, um, could he, was he able to, you know, um, some people will say that Henry Nouwen wrote the same book over and over again and never actually lived it. I wanted to, to sort of take that, take that sort of um, assessment of him and, and, and look at it, is, is that true and you know what I found is that he actually he was living he was living the insights that he that he was speaking about in the book and that that's pretty exciting um, in 1992, another book comes out and it's called "Life of the Beloved," uh, which is also um, you know a very favorite book um, by henry nowen and in this book he's also addressing this deep sense of self-rejection that a lot of us feel that he felt and that's why he could write about it with such power so in 1992 the year that his return of the prodigal son comes out he's also publishing life of the beloved which is this core insight that he makes through his his journey with the painting that he is the beloved son of god that is his main identity and when he could claim that and then he could live from it that's when a lot of his sort of his life you know sort of started really taking off you know and he really rooted himself into large daybreak and you know he 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 really dedicated himself to the writing vocation he felt like he now had something to that he, very um important to say to the world and I think this message of you are loved, you are beloved you are god's beloved this this became like his his uh, this was the the words that he would speak to whoever would listen, and that you know that really um, was apparent in 1992. And then um, and then as as the book you know sort of goes into onto the bookshelves, his life starts to to go in a different direction. He at the I, I love this part about the book, and some people might enjoy it too. Is that he we might think that the rembrandt painting is you know sort of the <laughs> he calls it his painting would become you know sort of the icon for his life but in fact henry was always looking for the icon <laughs> and the next one he found was uh, a circus troupe which might just sound very jarring to to people who don't know that but but he it, um, it happened while he was writing The Return of the Prodigal Son in 1991. He, he saw um, a trapeze troupe and who, that just took his breath away um, wow. by their beauty and their physicality, but what but really because he was seeing something in them about how his evolving understanding of his relationship with God, with God he saw that the that the flyers and the catchers that the that the flyers were like him he was he was trying to fly he was trying to be free he was he was you know seeking um you know, sort of to be fully, to fully, be fully alive. And he could do it because he's got the catcher. And the catcher is this solid, you know, rock that, that, you know, the the trapeze troop relies on, Um, you know, got all of the fancy flyers. But in fact, it's the catcher that's the main, you know, the, the important one. And that's God. And so he, he really, this, this metaphor or this visual representation of what, how he was, understanding and relating to God was really um, alive in him um, when he died so unexpectedly um, at 64 of a heart attack. So that's, that's where the painting took him. And and I think like a lot of our lives, he wouldn't have gotten to the trapeze troop and saw what he saw in the trapeze troop unless he'd already gone through the painting. So like our lives, we have to go through, you know, certain episodes in order to just sort of be ready for for the next one and that's certainly true in Henry's life
0: I I, I love the line that comes out of that that God really uh, puts into the center of his being and that is that you you trust the catcher you know you fly but you but you have to trust the catcher will be there for you and to know God in that kind of a deep way, that as you're flying and risking, as as Henry did, and as he as he lived very much present in in the moment, he had come to learn a, a, a new depth of the fact that God could be trusted. It's interesting because when you talk about you are the beloved, that he he grasped that, in a sense, that's been the core of what we, uh, as a as the Henry in Society, say basically our our goal is that the very thing which Henry Noun grasped, that he was the beloved child of God, would be something that others understand about themselves. That would be our reason, our raison d'etre, really. Um, I'm, I, I love this book. I want people to get it and read it. I think it's really, it's, it's a delight. I want to tell you some of the things we have planned for it. Uh, we, we are, there'll be an opportunity uh, to hear Ron Rollheiser talk about the book. He loved the book uh, obviously, and, and wrote a, a lovely, glowing review on it. In fact, uh, I'll probably post that because I'm trying to think if I've got it right here. I would read it, but I don't have it right here, so I won't read it. To, but but we'll post that. Uh, but there's going to be a, a a book webinar launch that's happening on the 12th of May. But you know, if you don't get to that, uh, definitely, you know, you'll be able to find it, and we'll have a link to it on our website. Um, I also want to make people aware that as Gabrielle talked about um, that scene of uh, Henry being birthed as a clown, you can actually see that. And that's part of the documentary that's on our website called Journey of the Heart, The Life of Henry Now. And in there, you'll see this wonderful episode with Henry coming out as a clown, and it's just delightful. Gabrielle, as as we talk about this book, I would like to know, You know, you did a lot of editing of books, but this is a book you've written. This comes from you. It comes from a depth of knowledge that you have grown over the years, and you are an you're an incredible um, um, scholar in the sense of really researching and wanting the truth to be there. Um, What kind of impact has this book, has writing this book, had on you?
1: Oh wow, Karen. Um, (laughs) uh, That's a that's a wonderful question. Thank you for asking me. I, this book, well, yeah, it was a very, um, it's a pivotal moment in my life because, uh, I was Henry Nowen's archivist for so long, for 16 years and listening and listening and listening to so many stories. You know, I did a lot of oral history interviews. I read a lot of letters. I, I, I have met so many of Henry Nowen's friends and family. Um, so there was a, there was, there was, you know there was well nearly two decades of absorbing Henry nowen's life and and his ministry and his work and his words and his the impact and and you know so it was all sort of fermenting in me i think and and then and then, when I you know I received that wonderful invitation to to edit his letters, and that was i I really could not have <laughs> picked something I would have loved to do more than that, and that was to be able to go through his letters in a very careful way and um and really find find the letters that I felt would speak most directly to people's needs right now um, using my own. Uh, heart as a as a, the barometer on that, and so that you know that was really special. And then I've I really enjoyed all of the other the the other books that you mentioned at the beginning, and then and then there's this, and and this was my chance to to to, to sort of synthesize everything that I had been hearing all those years, all of the stories, all of the sort of the tone, you know, the the sort of the. The less person, the nuance, the less um, perceptible aspects of Henry Nowen, and, and to and to put them to to put my mind to these wonderful questions, like, um, did he actually live the painting? You know, what what you know he 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 sounds like he's going to, but did he? And I got the the time and the chance to actually research that and and consider it. So there was, I really enjoyed that part of it. I think I might uh, if. I might just share how I wrote this book because, in fact, I didn't write this book. I spoke this book. I, um, I was having trouble writing it, and I, I felt like I was quite, had quite a severe case of writer's block after a ton of research. I wasn't able to write. And, and, I, and I heard that Brené Brown um, has a method of, of writing where she invites friends uh, to come over in a, in, a, in a formal way to listen to her speak her next book. And I thought, hey, I want to do that. That sounds like what I need. And so I gathered um, three remarkable women. And um, one of them was Sue Mossfeller, so that, you know, to have her as my, as my uh, little audience, and um, a woman, Lindsay Yesku. And Judith Lecky, who, who has been on the the and board for a very long time, so I had these three very wise, wonderful women who listened to me as I tried to speak this book to life. And um, and so we 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 met over a series of months, and I would prepare um, the chapter for them to hear, and then that would give me a chance to sort of put something together that, and, and I knew I would have these intelligent ears listening, and and that's the way the book came together. So um, it was actually a very pleasurable process, (laughs) and I quite miss it.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's that's a great insight. Yeah. Um, What's interesting is uh, just this spring, coming up to Lent, our book study group, which anybody can join, it's online. And uh, they focused on The Return of the Prodigal Son. And Ray Glennon, who leads this book study group, thought it would be wonderful for uh, to do a, a follow-up to that. And they're, they've chosen to do this new book, uh, Henry Nouwen and The Return of the Prodigal Son by Gabrielle Earnshaw, The Making of a Spiritual Classic. Because there's so many insights in this that deepen our understanding of henry and and enrich the actual book and so i i invite everybody listening you know keep an eye open for this we'll we'll give you links to it so that you can if you are somebody who over the years have loved the return of the prodigal son this is probably going to be a wonderful opportunity for you to kind of take it into your life um and in a unique way uh learn, really, from Gabrielle, uh, great insights into the life of Henry now. and Gabrielle, you're always a delight to interview. You're always fun to talk with because you're so full of uh, knowledge of Henry, but you're also so full of beautiful ideas yourself and, and the way you think and the way you write makes this book outstanding uh, I invite all of you go to our website you'll find all sorts of links to the things we've talked about today uh, books that Gabrielle mentioned um, and obviously the, a link to this book and uh, uh, the opportunity perhaps to see Henry Bourne as a clown if you haven't already seen that video uh, thank you so much for all you shared with us Gabrielle and until the next time Uh, you've been listening to Now and Then, and we are so glad to have you as our audience. And we would invite you to share this podcast with your friends and family. And if you've enjoyed it, give it a thumbs up or a stellar review. Okay. Thanks so much. Until next time.